0: on this edition of orlando magic pod squad presented by kia we catch up with orlando magic assistant coach steve hetzel a terrific conversation with hetz for the first time we get some insight from a cleveland cavaliers perspective of that 2009 eastern conference finals matchup between the magic and the cleveland cavaliers uh, steve hetzel was a video coordinator for the Cavs at that time and he breaks it down the challenges of defending Keto Turkoglu, Dwight Howard, Richard Lewis. Just a fascinating breakdown uh, from an X's and O's standpoint. Then we get into his story. What made Steve Hetzel ultimately want to be a coach at the NBA level? Uh terrific start at Michigan State, working with Tom Izzo, then breaking into the NBA ranks, ultimately getting here in Orlando as an assistant with Magic Head Coach Steve Clifford. So a fantastic story, lots of insight, great conversation with Magic Assistant Coach Steve Hetzel on this edition of Magic Pod Squad, presented by Kia. And welcome, everyone, to another installment of Orlando Magic Pod Squad, presented by Kia, Dante Marcatelli, David Steele, Jeff Turner, George Galante, and Magic Assistant Coach Steve Hetzel. Kind enough to join us, Steve. I don't know if you've talked to Pat or... Tyrone Corbin or anybody. I don't know if you have any idea what you're in for. I, I don't know how I don't know how George roped you into this, but we're excited. We're excited to to have you on here. Do you know anything about podscorn
1: Yeah, listen, I, listen. You guys are great, super entertaining. You know, it's probably more funny to yourselves than the crowd, but uh, yes. I enjoy. I enjoy you guys. No I, there's I no doubt about that. You guys.
2: You know, you know mind. where I had to corner Steve, but I had to corner him in the stairwell last night going into the game. I go, hey, uh, you know, we're thinking about doing the pot Squad with you. Are you In for it? And I, I don't think he heard what I said, and he just was done with the conversation. He's like, yeah, George, that sounds good. Yeah, no, whatever you <laughs> yeah, want to do, whatever, that's whatever, fine. Whatever right. You just it's gotta like catch guess. him right at the right time, right at the it's right. It's like time.
3: The, the the Puffy shirty you know. It's the Seinfeld that's episode. Right. The turn right. Puffy shirt. He agreed we to my know. contract.
1: <laughs> contract want to know whatever George says. I have to. That's right. Yeah. You years, that I have not deal I with a lot
0: for now. When in the season did you realize we weren't with you traveling? Was it
1: like a third
4: of the way through, <laughs> a half of the way?
1: <laughs> when did the oh, coach- You guys don't give yourselves enough credit. It was day 1. You know, you guys are such a presence you may not think so, but we miss you at shootarounds, uh we miss you on the sidelines pregame, uh, on the on the plane, on the buses, postgame. You guys are very missed, you know, like it's such a tight-knit group the travel party. And even though you guys uh, work separately than us, we're all together and it's uh, we feel very isolated, but um, you're, you guys are very missed. We can't wait to get back out there with you. No
0: question. At the time of this taping, you're in Cleveland, right? This is uh, one of your stops in, in your NBA career. Is it always kind of nostalgic going back? You're, you're a big uh, mid, you know, mid Midwestern guy. So is it, is it always fun going back or how do, how do you feel when you go back
1: to Cleveland? I enjoy it. I especially this time the the weather. You know, I guess anytime I could, you know, <laughs> puff my chest out and say, "Oh yeah, this is what I'm used to in the winter." And then in the spring, uh, I was on the elevator with James Ennis, and he was like, "Oh, I didn't know it was this warm in Cleveland." I was like, "It's April." <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it is. It's it's fun to come back to the places that you've been to see the faces um, that you've worked with before. And um, I spent I had two cents in Cleveland once as a video coordinator with Mike Brown and another time when I got to be uh, the head coach of the uh, Canton Charge. So a lot of good memories here.
3: You've probably never been down to Mr. Alberts and bought a couple of ties down there down the street from the hotel, <laughs> have you? <laughs> like Jeff Turner and I did Jeff a couple Turner? of years ago.
4: I, 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 I did not drop mall. a dime in there, but I did go with David as moral support. <laughs> <laughs> it was true. That yeah, is true. <laughs>
0: well, I know it's fun to go back there. You know, it's, it's, I don't think a lot of Magic fans will will realize this, Steve, but were you not the video coordinator there in, uh, in that 09 playoff series when the Magic uh, faced off against the Cavaliers? We'd love to, we've heard all the Magic side of it. We'd love to get your side and your perspective on, on that uh, 09 series uh, with the Magic and the Cavs.
1: Yeah, I was. That was my uh, third season with the third and final season with the Cavaliers. Uh, we had the best record in the, the NBA. Mike Brown was the coach of the year. Uh, LeBron was MVP. It was uh, just an awesome regular season. And the one team that we could not beat in the regular season is the one team that we met in the Eastern Conference Finals, and that was the Orlando Magic. And at that time, they were unique to the league because they were one of the only, if not the only team that was playing four out, one in. And that, with that being said, they have always had four shooters, three point shooters on the floor. And it's only what, 11 years ago, 12 years ago, and the league is just totally flipped upside down to where it's all three point shooting. But at that time, our, our four big men on the roster were Anderson Vergel, Zadrunas Ogaskis. Ben Wallace, and Joe Smith, and none of them were shooting threes. Uh, big right. Z was a knockdown mid-range pick-and-pop shooter, and Joe Smith as well if you let him get to the elbow. But the elbow and the three-point line are a big difference. And uh, so you could just see then the game was just – it was so so differently played. And, you know, our, our coverages and de- our defensive coverages – we were a show defensive team, and, you know, David, you'll know what that means, but that's when the, the bigs get out and they, they jump out to the uh, ball handler to try to impact the ball handler. And in today's game, if you do that with all the shooting on the floor, you just spread yourself wide, wide out. You know, everything's open because you have to be in to protect the basket with the roll, and then there's shooters everywhere, and that's what the Magic had. We – I think we were um, – we had two losses at home that year, and I think we won 66 games in the regular season. And we were down 40 at at Orlando in the one regular season game that we played. Um, and at that time, it wasn't Amway. It was the old arena. Uh, but it was the shooting. Um, our coverage and, you know, like Dwight Howard, the force that he rolled with and our, our pick and roll coverages, they just – it was uh, lights out and uh, – so it was a fun series, six-game series, but uh, we ran into uh, the wrong team in the playoffs. You
3: know, it's interesting that uh, Magic team, probably a little bit ahead of its time. Imagine that group playing to, in today's NBA. I mean, they would be as good as anybody for sure.
1: I agree. You know, they had all the shooting that they needed. Richard Lewis was uh, uh, again ahead of his time, as a, he was considered an undersized four-man. Right now, I could. In today's game, he could probably mix in some five <laughs> with yeah, the way right. being played today. But uh, he could do both. He could shoot threes at such a high level, and he could post up smaller players. You know, he began his career at the three, which showed you how the game was changing even then. Um, but we, they're just the roster, the way it was assembled, uh, presented so many problems for us because Hedo was such a good pick and roll player. He had such size that he could scan and make all of the passes. And so when you have Dwight Howard as your roller, if you don't protect the basket, you're giving up a lob dunk. And with he in a high pick and roll, he was able to make all the skip passes versus the protection. And so that was something that, uh, you know, was a problem for us.
3: Jeff and I were talking the other day about uh, how important it is JT made the point. I don't know if it was on the air or off the air because, you know, we have these conversations, you know, constantly, <laughs> whether, whether the camera's on or not, but Jeff, you made the point. We have that, to remind, uh, and, we have
0: to remind David when we're on camera when we're not. <laughs> yeah,
3: sometimes we do. Sometimes we do. But Jeff made the point that he, he likes it better when you got a strong roller, like Atlanta, we were talking about Atlanta and what a good fit Capella is for what they've got right now. Just a perfect guy when you've got a guy that can roll strong and, dunk the ball, and, and you got shooters spread out all over the floor. Right, Jeff? Isn't that the point? Well, yeah. Well,
4: no, exactly. I thought – I think that, you know, like for me, we were just talking, and I thought Houston made a mistake uh, letting Capella go because kind of like what you were saying, Capella was a, is a strong roller to the basket, defender, and everything. And I thought Houston had plenty of shooting around him to spread the floor, and I thought it really – made Harden better because of his size and his ability to get to the rim, shoot the mid-range. Um, so I think it's not for everybody, but I think if you've got a guard, a big guard, a rolling big's not too bad. Well, even with Trey Young, I think it helps Trey because he's got a nice mid-range. I, I mean, is the, you know, I, I guess, Steve, I guess the question would be is if you're playing the five in the league now, do you have to be a three-point shooter?
1: I don't, I don't, think, I don't think you do. I think um, it depends on how the roster is built. And if you have enough shooting on the floor, a dynamic roller is exactly what you need, which Atlanta does. Trey Young, yeah. Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, uh, Lou Williams – They have a ton of shooting. Uh, John Collins is a 38% shooter, but Donovich, I, yeah. And he's rolling right now. They have tons of shooting. And so adding that piece of that dynamic roller leads to exactly what you're saying. It's uh, it's, you have to take away something, but you're giving up something else. And um, it's a, it's a good thing to have. And if, uh, if you don't have a lot of shooting on the floor, then, you know, it's harder but to have that shooting in that roller is uh it's a problem.
2: Steve, with uh, with Cliff being on our staff in 0809 and you being on the Cavs staff when when's the first time that that discussion happens when you guys are together like do you guys talk have you ever talked about that series back you know back then and and your comparisons from you know from our side and from from your side
1: Yeah right from our first season together in Charlotte um you know as soon as you know like <laughs> probably the interview that I had with him when I was hired, we began discussing it. And it's, uh, it's, you know, like for basketball junkies, it's the ultimate thrill to just sit and, you know, talk basketball about the experiences that you've gone through and the strategy that you put into it. And, you know, we discussed, we, we did something different and it, you know, it didn't end up working out. It's easy to say it didn't work out because Orlando won. It was a six game series in it. And uh, there, we were up, 20 20 points in both game one and two and we lost game one and game two lebron had to to make that miracle shot at the buzzer but we were up 20 in both games so if we win two, if we go two, maybe we win and said who knows but when i say this part about the strategy it's i wouldn't say it's a failed strategy it was just different and because of how unique the the magic were at that time we chose to put Delonte West on Hidu Turkolo, who would, was playing the three, and that would normally be LeBron James matchup. But because of the pick and roll uh, that Orlando would would uh, play, they play a high pick and roll with Hidu, we wanted LeBron James as our rim protection versus Dwight on the roll. And the point guard was always in the position of the of taking the role and so it was um uh skip to my Lou I'm sorry his name's uh yeah, Rafer, Rafer Alston yeah. Rafer yeah Rafer yeah. was the Can we call him skip to so. my Lou too it's fine yeah, exactly <laughs> I should know that but uh so we, we our matchup was LeBron on Rafer so that he could be the pick and roll protection and it, and we would blitz uh Hedu to try to disrupt his pick and roll play and uh which is just something that you, d- you don't normally do in a regular season game, and so discussing with, with Cliff uh, that you know it's a lot of fun. Like he, it kind of gave him an, a big eye raise. So that's why you guys did that. Oh, nice. And then they did some they did some unique stuff. Uh, they matched up uh, opposite with uh, Zadrunis and Verjel. They had uh, Dwight guard um, uh, Verjel and. Um, Richard would guard uh, Z and as if they rolled into the post if Z ever rolled into the post because Richard was better at his uh, show coverage where he would jump out and he could recover uh, better to Zedrunas's pick and pop plays and so if Z ever went into the post uh, Richard would front the post and Dwight would come from behind and guard Z in the post and Richard would leave so you get into all these uh, different strategies, you know, a playoff series is just such a, it's such a chess match and it's so much fun. So yeah, we've, we've discussed it, um, you know, multiple times
2: do you find it interesting that Hatz talks about that series? Like when we talk about that series, it's the opposite way. It's like, well, if LeBron doesn't hit that shot in game two, we sweep the cap. <laughs> right. Like this yeah. is just yeah. a dumpster. <laughs> right. like, like it's, and he talks about that series the way yeah. we talk about the finals in 09, where it's like, oh, well, if Courtney just would have made yeah. that layup and, man, if we would have made free throws, that, that really wasn't a fight. You know, it's it's interesting <laughs> to hear. We've never talked to anybody from yeah. the other side about that. We've always just been like, ah, LeBron doesn't hit that shot in game two. This is four game <laughs> sweep and it's nothing. He's <laughs> right. that. The, the, the opposite way. He's, and he's right. He's
4: right.
1: Well, I started, I, I do want to say this. Number one, it was the toughest matchup for us the whole regular season. We played three times. You guys beat us uh, twice. And, The story that I tell from the Cavaliers' side, because we always tell it from our side, we swept our first two series 4-0. We beat uh, Detroit and we beat Atlanta 4-0. And and each uh, series that awaited us went seven games. So the layoff time between series was nine days. Never, Not even all-star break do you go nine days without playing an NBA basketball game. And, from my personal experience, not an excuse, but just what I saw, our guys were so jacked out of their heads, jacked to be playing game one, and we steamrolled right away, got up got up twenty, which no lead in the NBA is safe, twenty points yep. is yep. not that, but we were rolling, and our guy and that was a game that LeBron cramped up, but it wasn't just uh. Up 20. It was up 20 and jumping around and showing emotion and just yeah. so excited. And we ended up exerting so much energy. And you guys, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you guys just steady, slow and steady came back game one and game two and handled your business and to your credit. You pulled it off. And you guys also um Richard hit two basically game winning yeah. shots in that series. LeBron hit the the miracle one. And Richard hit an ISO jump shot versus out to win it, and then um, an after timeout play that Stan drew up that uh, that corner three at uh, at home. So it was it was a great series. You know, Steve, we
0: hear about LeBron, and you spent time with him there in Cleveland. We hear how smart he is, right, and how he thinks the game. And you, what's your experience sitting down with LeBron, going over film? What impresses you about maybe something that he pointed out, or how he thinks and plays the game?
1: Well, he's, you know, obviously he's every single person who likes basketball has this, the conversation of who's the greatest and he's in the conversation, whether you rank him one, two or five, he's in, he's in the conversation. And I would say that it is so much of everything is his skills, size, athleticism, but most important thing is his basketball IQ. He sees the game like, like a coaching staff does. He, he reads it. Um, X and O's wise strategy. He understands coverages. He knows where to be. We always, when we scout against him now, we call him a safety in the, in the, on defense. He's just back there roaming and reading the situation. He always, if you're coaching in the NBA, we always say it's a, it's a copycat league as in whatever somebody's doing that that's working. Other teams will begin to run and pretty soon all 30 teams are running that similar action. And it, it might have the same name on six teams and slightly different on others, but it is, it's very much a copycat league. And when you're scouting and studying, you just say, okay, our play scrum that's Cleveland's double X and that's Indiana's Seattle, and that's um, New York's away. And you know, the play calls and you identify with the action and he could do that as well as a coach. He knew every play call, Oh. And he would he would relay the calls. He's, you know, like Tom, like obviously uh, LeBron has the athleticism, but you have the, the Tom Brady jersey hanging behind you. But he he doesn't do it with athleticism. He does it with his intelligence. And if you, ever, right. you know, if you've watched his documentaries or paid attention to him, it's his ability to study and break down film to be that one step ahead and see the game unfold. And and uh, defense is where they're going to be before it happens. And LeBron could always see things before it happened.
4: Steve, you know, go ahead, Jeff. Okay, I, I was going to ask. It, it kind of it, It's interesting as I think about it. Then if a guy like LeBron that knows the game so well and thinks like a coach um, and has that much talent, we're, is it difficult? You know, you were there with Mike Brown and everything. Does it become a challenge to coach a guy like that? Because... There's there's got to be always a question mark, right? Like, why are we doing this? You know, I'm sure that happens with all players, but with a guy as smart as LeBron, does it create friction?
1: We didn't have that problem in Cleveland with Mike Brown, and yes, uh, he presented questions because he is that intelligent, which is I just think is awesome. Like, if you have a guy that's into it and it's trying to figure out the why which is everything in teaching, coaching, profession. If you're trying to figure out why you're doing something, then you're trying to be the best that you can be. And Mike Brown is about as detailed of a coach as I've ever been around. And so there was nothing that he ever did that didn't have some form of thought. And whatever you initially do, there's always a, um, you make an adjustment and you have the adjustment. So it was always presented, we're starting this way And if it's, if they're hurting us, then we'll adjust this way. But he was very inquisitive and he was always, um, you know, on top of, he he pushes coaches, which is what you want as a coach um, to be pushed. But we didn't have much, um, many disagreements, I would say, over coverages. And, you know, for the most part what we were doing, it worked against 29 teams perfectly. Orlando was Uh the, Anomaly uh, right. because uh, the roster was built so differently.
4: Guys, I'm I'm, I'm so old and played so long ago that see the, the difference is like if we asked why of a coach, it would be because I said so, <laughs> I said so. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's there right. You know. I just wanted inquisitive players. I said you do it because school, I told right? you to do it.
3: <laughs> while they're right. smoking,
2: while everybody's smoking. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's you know, a, it's good. Uh, good when, when when people ask why. I, I want to ask how, Steve. I, I want to get back to a little bit of how you became um, an NBA coach. I, I think I love stories. Um, you know, Scott Skiles, another Michigan State guy, as you know, used to say everybody's got a scrapbook. You know, when some when we talk <laughs> about our high school exploits, but you have quite a scrap scrapbook back at Allen Park High School in uh, in Detroit, Michigan. Right? You were uh, running back on the football team and a uh, basketball player as well. Tell us about your background, how you got started
1: in sports, got interested in coaching eventually. Um, well, it was, that was the extent of it was Allen Park High School. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I grew up just uh, in love with sports. My two favorite uh, sports were football and basketball, and that's what I played in high school. I actually uh, had more accolades in football than I did basketball, got uh, recruited, played it in, in uh, the high school all-star game there and I love football but my love of basketball uh superseded that I just uh growing up my uh, moved from Kansas City to Detroit area in uh 88 which put me right in the thick of the bad boys and I was just like oh well, this is awesome you know like number yeah, one they right. win every when they win every game they're <laughs> tough as nails they beat everybody up and I loved every minute of it so <laughs> I uh I did not. Close line, line, and Jeff Turner—they're go. I did not,
4: but that's okay. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> so I did. I, the, my father went to Michigan State. I grew up a Michigan State fan, and that's where I wanted to go to school. Uh, I got—I had some Division three offers for basketball, and some some Division three and Division two offers for football, but I just didn't have it. And I didn't play AAU basketball either. So I didn't have the experience of being recruited or really understand it at that time. I'm not that old, but in 1999, it wasn't like AAU was what it is today. No, right. So right. Uh, I went to Michigan State and was totally okay with it. And I just wanted to go to school there. It took me a long time to figure out what I wanted to be. I was a very uh, blank canvas, no idea. My dad told me to go into business and be an accountant because you'll always have a job. I took one business class. and I was like, no way. <laughs> I can't do this. I cannot do this. And yeah, that's great. Uh, I just told myself uh, get a job uh, being, I'll get a teaching degree, be a gym teacher and try to coach high school, basketball and football. That's what, that was the goal. I was, I was in school probably longer than I should have been in terms of, what everybody takes to get through school. And through the process of changing majors, I had, um, it was time to make a decision. And I had a connection uh, to the basketball team because I had worked at the Mural building uh, the entire time I was there. And my boss was a division one women's referee. And so coach Izzo would have him referee practices. And so I asked him, uh, his name's Dennis Mayer. I asked him if he could get me an interview to be a student manager. And my thought was, if I could learn from Coach Izzo, I could be the best high school basketball coach in the state of Michigan. And that was the goal. And fortunately, I, I got the interview. I became a student manager. And as soon as I walked through the door into the basketball offices, experienced practice, and the way things were run, I was like, this is for me. This is exactly what I need to be doing and what I need to be a part of. I was very fortunate. Uh, my foot, my high school football team, we we're kind of a perennial um, team where we'd make the semifinals state finals. And it was because of our coaching. Our, I had two assistant coaches that were retired as head coaches in the state of Michigan that were in the high school hall of fame for coaching oh. their own schools as assistant. And oh. so I, I knew uh, that we won in, in high school because of our, we were so prepared and I, I, I loved it. I, I played uh, running back safety and I, I make all the reads and, and everything. And I could just uh, see the game, the way that a coach would break it down because of how we were coached. And when I went to Michigan state, I had never seen basketball broken down the way that I had seen football broken down. And I was like, this is exactly what I'm used to. It's detailed. It's, um, it's structured accountability and it was everything that I wanted to be a part of. So that's where it started. Got my foot in the door there. And, uh, just got really, uh, extremely lucky in terms of the people that I met, um, opening doors for the for step step-by-step after that, but that's how I got started and, um,
3: that's great. I, I could ask you about your 57 yard uh, punt return for a touchdown against Truman. Uh, let's see, Truman, Taylor Truman. Where are you <laughs> getting this from? <Wow>. <laughs> so well. right there. Don't <laughs> so <real>, be
4: surprised <laughs> uh, if somehow that play, if there's video of it, David will find <laughs> there's it. There's video. And it will be <laughs> done. Only on thing we uh, change via, VHS to
1: DVD somewhere. <laughs>
4: <laughs> maybe, right.
3: maybe you could have your family send it to Dante no no aside from that seriously though how did you uh, from the Cleveland Cavaliers staff that's how you got the head coaching job in the the then it was called the D League right did, did the Cavaliers give you that assignment with Canton that seemed oh, like yeah. that must have been a big that must have been a big step for you to be a head coach uh, of a D League team at age 33
1: It was a, it was an unbelievable experience. I had actually uh, been fortunate, like through the Cavs success, John Kuster got hired with the Pistons. And so he took me with him to Detroit and I was player development in Detroit for four years. John was only the coach for two. Lawrence Frank came in. I was able to uh, hold over on his staff for another two years. And then was, we were all kind of let go as uh, Mo Cheeks got hired. Uh, going into the 1314 season.
0: And and, that would have been with that would have been with Brian Hill too, right? Was Brian Hill a part of that? Yep, B. hill. Yes, sir. Right? Two yep. uh,
1: all four years. Brian and I have a very close relationship and we went through some uh, disappointing seasons and uh, some different experiences in Detroit while we were there. But it was it's it's all experience, right? You the sure, good and the sure. bad you take and you learn from um, well I was out of work in two thousand summer of twenty thirteen and uh there was a couple coaches that i knew that had just got hired as head coaches i had worked with mike malone in cleveland he got hired in sacramento i had worked with mike budenholzer just as a i was an intern in san antonio one year he got hired in atlanta mike brown just came back to cleveland and you have to have thick skin in this business and you have to understand that it's not easy that's why uh above all, you have to be very fortunate. And there's a lot of luck in play because there's just not many positions to no. hand out. And all of all of the people that I worked with were awesome, super respectful. And if I have this, you know, I'll give you a call. But they just they just didn't. There was people above me, probably more qu- qualified than I was at, at that time to uh, hold positions on their staff. So I was without a job. And uh, I had started thinking, well, maybe I can get a G league, something with the G league. And I still had connections with the Cavaliers in the front office. Trent Redden, who's now with the Clippers, was an assistant general manager with the Cavs, um, at that time. And I called him up. They needed a head coach because Alex Jensen had just left to go to Utah, uh, to be an assistant with, um, Quinn Snyder. And so I got an interview with, uh, with Mike Gansey and Trent Redden and David Griffin. And that's how I got the job with uh, the cool. Canton charge. So I came back to Canton. And to your point, uh, David, it was, I always describe it as, you guys remember those, those small squishy toys that you would drop in wa- water and they would just expand and grow. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that was me as a coach. In that one year I went, whatever I was, I grew four times. Being a head coach is an un- unbelievable experience. You have to manage so many things that are outside of basketball, but it is, it's so much fun. I, I I can't wait. If, uh, if anywhere, I'll go back at at some point I'll be a head coach, even if it's high school or my daughter's AAU team, it doesn't matter. (laughs)
0: Exactly right. How how did you enjoy the experience? I know you, you know, we would have been sad to lose you and, and we hope you become a head coach. We know you'll fulfill that one day, but that experience of, of, you know, applying and interviewing with Cleveland. I mean that must have been surreal to come back and have an opportunity to to apply and interview for that head coaching vacancy.
1: It was, you know, uh, a lot of it is because of the success uh, that we had. That's um, the for our first year in Orlando. Um, and Steve Clifford is an amazing, you know, he's amazing. <laughs> I know you, I know you guys feel the same as I do, but he's amazing. And we know. with his with his reputation, that allowed me to to be considered as well as. Uh, being part of that organization and, and knowing people, right. like I said, so much of this is, is fortune, right? You, you know, people or luck is handed to you. We had made that run to make the playoffs. So we gained some attention and then that gave attention to our staff and it was, uh, it's awesome. You just put on your, uh, you put on your, your suit and act like you're a head coach for three hours and <laughs> it's an <laughs> adrenaline rush. It's a, it's an awesome yeah. experience. And, uh, I'll I'll never forget it. It's just a lot of fun to um, try to get people to think that you could do the job.
2: That's how do you get now? How do you you go from Canton and you go on to Cliff Staff in Charlotte? How does how does that how do you did you know Cliff ahead of time at all? Or was that your first? And you know, how does Cliff find out about you and vice versa? How does that all work?
1: Well, my ego in the, in the G League was telling me that I was just going to get a job anywhere. the we team was rolling. We were, we were doing awesome. And when Cliff calls, calls me, he references the fact that when Stan had been let go and he was out of work in Orlando, he had a relationship with Lawrence Frank, which I, I had met him in the Summer League, but Summer League was always in Orlando. And he had come and watched our practices in summer league when I was working for the Pistons and he had uh, identified me as someone that he would like for his staff, just by the way that I was coaching. So it goes back to the point that, you know, we always try to tell players, but everybody should understand that there's always somebody watching, you know, you don't know where it's going to come from or who it is, but I didn't get the job for, for how I coached in Canton. I got it for, um, just coaching a summer league practice. And so that again goes back to the the luck and the fortune. If Cliff's not at that practice, I might still be in Canton, Ohio right now. <laughs> that's amazing. Hopefully,
2: hopefully Hetz didn't get any video from the Orlando Summer League when Dante and I are just pretty much bashing
0: the Orlando Summer League. <laughs> <laughs> as it, as it's happening. Yeah, exactly right. I
2: don't I don't think about those things.
0: I don't know how much of that gets around it. Somebody's always watching. You're right. That's to that point. Well, I, give us some insight into this year, hats I mean, this has just been – I mean, it's it's unparalleled. We've never gone through anything like this, anyone, because of the pandemic, number one. But then this year we have almost a, a historic amount of injuries, right? I mean, just everything that that your team has gone through. How do you guys all kind of pull together, and yet no matter who's thrown your way, you look like a team. You go out there, you're organized, and you compete every night. It's, it's absolutely astounding.
1: I appreciate that. It is uh... – unbelievably unique the situation in terms of how we have to play travel test every day the precautions that we need to take it's a unique experience and then to, uh, topple that with the injuries that we've taken is trying is really the only way to put it but it's the challenge that if you're you know into those types of things which I believe that we have the staff that that accepts and embraces challenge it's it's something new and to add to the experience. And we take our lead from our leader, Steve Clifford, is an amazing coach. He has an unbelievable ability to speak to the team, no matter what's going on, good, bad, and different, and give a pointed message that not a single person in the room can argue or be unclear about the message and have a good day. From that day, and that's the most important thing, is to get the most out of that day. After he speaks and addresses the team, and then I believe because I'm a part of it, but um, the the rest of the staff, we have amazing coaches under Cliff, Ty Corbin, Pat Delaney, Mike Batiste, Lionel Chal- Chalmers, Bruce Kreitzer, our video room. Every there's not a nobody's hanging their heads. Everybody does a has an unbelievable work ethic and what I think we pride ourselves as a, as, um, as a staff is ability to connect to players and try to help them. That's one of the things in, in anything in life, but especially the NBA, the players want to know that, or believe that you can help them, uh, get better. And I think that, uh, through building trust with them, uh, we, we get that relationship and that connection of just being prepared and showing up every day. And, um, trying not to let these injuries or these circumstances uh, show any hesitation or doubt in our mind.
4: Steve, that's got to be one of the challenges with what you're going through now in this last month with a complete roster makeover is, I mean, I know there are many challenges and you might want to address that, but just developing that trust with an almost – you know, entirely new group of guys. You got guys coming in on 10 days. You've got the guys, the new guys from the trades. How difficult has that been, just establishing that trust and that working relationship?
1: It's a different timeline. It's extremely difficult and it's everything. It's it's like, it's the perfect question, Jeff, because it's something that I've, that I've discussed with um, colleagues and also, you know, my wife at home when I'm venting. But when you draft a player, uh, you have the summer to where say I was assigned so I have RJ Hampton as a player since the trade if we had drafted RJ and I was assigned that him to work with we would spend the whole summer working together on the court building a rep, uh, a rapport with one another and in the summer everything's great because you're work, they're, they're working on their game they feel like okay this uh, this coach can help me I I'm seeing results and there's no there's not many negatives There's not much correction. And so you're building a relationship. And so as the season goes forth, you've already established yourself as someone that they can trust. And when you're correcting, it doesn't come from a place of just dictation or telling somebody what they're doing wrong. And when you acquire someone through the trade and your first couple meetings or a film session of this is incorrect or this is incorrect, it's not exactly the way you wanna start a relationship by telling someone that they're doing something wrong. Uh, you would love to be telling them how much they're doing right. And RJ does a lot of things right. He does a ton right. He's a super talented kid, but he's 20 years old and there's a lot of learning. There's a learning curve and there are mistakes that need to be pointed out to help him improve throughout these games. But it's not an ideal situation in terms of building trust. And I I firmly believe that the relationship aspect of them believing you and that you actually have their best interests at heart is the most important thing.
2: That's how do those assignments get, get doled out to you? you? Do you, do you ask, do you just get together and and divvy them up that way? How does that work?
1: Cliff's always been in charge of um, managing or handling, giving players to, to the different assistants. Um, Traditionally, uh, Mike Batiste works with the fives, Uh, Pat Pat Delaney's uh, generally worked with the four, four men but he has had some wings. I have mostly uh, point and uh, point guard and and wing players, but uh, it has to do with how many players we already have. Um, You know, does another person, did he lose a player to free agency? You know, I had Evan Fournier, so I lose him acquiring RJ. I, I get another player.
0: What's the relationships? You, you build so much trust. You had, I mean, Vooch was here for nine years. You had Evan all three years you were here. You don't turn that off. I imagine if a guy gets traded or goes to another team, don't, you build that trust. And I imagine you're fans of them wherever they go for the rest of their career. Are you not?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. It's not just a superficial thing. Uh, you have to have the, uh, the shield your shields up for the business aspect that anything could change at any given moment uh, we could be with a different team ourselves just circumstantially sure. it's happened it's happened in the past players move due to free agency trades but uh it if you spend enough time with someone you it's it's someone that you don't lose touch with i as evan and i have uh, kept in touch throughout this he you know he just recently got covid so we're checking in on him. He's back now. just making sure, you know, he's feeling good out there and everything. So as much as you can without losing attention to your own job, you just keep in touch with him like you do everybody else. But yeah, it's an important part of it. It's something that um, you try to maintain those relationships the best you can. All right, the last... Has, has,
3: uh, has hit our, has hit our yeah. team now with Steve Clifford out. Uh, I, I just wanted to ask you about um, how challenging it is right now for the coaching staff with, you know, shifting roles, at least for this interim period, while Steve is out with the, uh, the health and safety protocols, Tyrone Corbin stepping into the head coaching chair and uh, how much of a challenge has it been for the staff to keep this thing rolling?
1: well it's a it's a challenge because Cliff's not here and he is so well respected and he's such a good coach. That's the challenge that it that it presents but we're so fortunate to have Ty who has the head coaching experience and all of those games under his belt and also the way Cliff structures things day to day he gives us so much responsibility throughout uh, practices and uh, game preparation that it hasn't been uh, there the record hasn't stopped. Everything's just kept on going. He's still in contact with us and Ty does a similar setup and walkthroughs that, that Cliff does. And because of the culture that I believe that, that Cliff has uh, solidified here, it, uh, it hasn't been too difficult. You just miss his presence because he is such a good leader.
4: Oh, before Dante closes out, I have to know is, is, Is coach texting you guys on the bench? Just so you know, listen, just so you know, last night, I got a text in the middle of the game. He had an issue with David's Is This Anything? So I'm just saying, (laughs) you know, know, I just wondered if he's texting you as well, so...
1: Uh, we all made a pact to leave our phones in the locker. So,
4: uh, <laughs> <laughs> Good
1: move. Good, very, very smart. Move. Very
0: smart. You'll deal with that. Uh, you'll deal with that after the game. So, uh, so Hetz's daughter, Selah, plays in the same league as my daughters, right? And I, I, I was coaching my daughters, and Steve, I don't know how you do it. I can't get them to listen to me for the life of me. I don't know how you. How, what is the secret to get anyone's attention? As a coach at any level, I don't care what it is. I <laughs> <laughs> don't care what I say. They don't uh,
1: what I got. I got. If you ever coach your daughters again, you've got to get some dots. Okay, dots are flat circles, cones. Yes. And the children follow the dots. Okay, that's the <laughs> key to everything. Okay. <laughs> if you want to have I success like next year? You get a pack of dots. All right. Red, <laughs> red, blue, yellow. if You put a dot on the floor; they'll go to it and they'll stay there for, for longer than you expected. The kids will follow the dots. <laughs> I there love it. Get the dots. Dots. There we go. All right. We
0: appreciate it. That's keep up the great work. We know it's challenging and trying, but you guys are fantastic and we, we can't wait to be back to some kind of normalcy and be traveling with you guys again, or even see you, we haven't seen you face to face in 18 months.
1: <laughs> well, we miss you guys. It's, it's not easy. Uh, You know, like the, as close as we are all together, the travel parties got even, uh, smaller. So, and we, you just spend a lot of time in your hotel room. There's no going out to dinner on the road or, you know, seeing you guys in the lobby or anybody. I'm trying to tell them they're not missing anything. They're (laughs) they're just not,
2: this is not where they want to be. It's not where they want to be at
0: all. Not fun.
1: No, there's a, there's a lot of just sitting, sitting around and waiting, waiting for the next event. But, um, You guys are missed as well. So I hope things get back to normal and we could do this thing the right way. Absolutely. Well, amen. Well, this
0: podcast brought to you by Kia, official vehicle of the Orlando Magic. We'll see you next time.